Artificial intelligence is here. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Daniel Lopez. This is the AI Education Conversation, where we explore the opportunities, risks, and the impacts of AI across education. Let's jump in. What's up, everyone? We've talked a lot about AI chatbots, but today's episode is actually going to take a, a layer deeper. We're going to be exploring AI's integration into physical elements, solving the highest stakes problem in education today. When I have an opportunity to talk to many parents of students attending schools in the United States today, their biggest fear is not that their child will do poorly in a, in a class, fail a test, or not make the basketball team. Their biggest fear is that their child isn't going to come home that day. Last year alone, Education Week reports that there were over 51 school shootings with 32 students who lost their lives. Today's episode is with Zero Eyes, a company dedicated to preventing school shootings by incorporating AI technology into schools. This is the most important conversation we've ever had on the AI Education Conversation. I also want to give a special shout out to listener Greg Johnson for putting Zero Eyes on my radar. Before we do, let's jump into a few AI updates. Eric Adams, Mayor Eric Adams and the New York Police Department announced that robotics technology would be coming to the police force starting this summer in two specific ways. So first and foremost, the K5 autonomous security bot, a lot of people are calling this bot the snitch bot, stands five feet tall and it weighs 400 pounds. These robots have AI technology, camera sensors, microphones, all those things. The NYPD anticipates being able to deploy a bunch of these massive uh, kind of janitor cleanup looking robots into Times Square and city subways starting this summer. The NYPD is also looking to bring on two DigiDogs uh, by Boston Dynamics. These are pretty agile looking, about three and a half foot yellow uh, dog looking robots. And these are really going to be intended to support the NYPD in high crisis situations, such as hostage situations, to provide video and audio feed without the risk of exposing the life of a police officer. As you can imagine, when we're talking about robotics in, uh, in human element situations, there was a lot of opinions on both sides of the spectrum here, with some folks really believing we do need to adopt this type of technology to reduce crime, to support our officers. And then there's others that, you know, as always, think that these robots have the potential to impact civil liberties. There's also this group, I think in particular in, in New York City, that think that the K5s, those big janitorial looking robots, are definitely going to be destroyed and tagged up by folks in those subway uh, setting situations. We'll have to see how this turns out. And, and as it starts to roll out this summer, should be a pretty interesting experience in New York City with some of these robots going around the city here. On another note, President Biden and VP Kamala Harris recently met with AI, top AI tech leaders, expressing that they have a legal responsibility to ensure that the safety um, of their AI products and the administration also mentioned that they're going to be advancing a lot of new AI regulations and announced a lot of new funding for AI research. The administration recently unveiled that there's going to be a $140 million investment from the National Science Foundation to establish seven new AI research institutes in the United States. That apparently is going to bring our total to 25. 
The research centers are going to apply to a lot of different areas, such as public health, climate change, agriculture. Hopefully there's going to be one or two related to AI and education, so we can definitely learn more and see the type of research they have coming out. The White House Office of Management and Budget also announced that they plan to issue a draft policy guidance on how federal agencies can use AI tools. The guidance are going to be open to public feedback starting this summer. And then lastly, top AI developers, Anthropic, Google, Hugging Face, Microsoft, they've all agreed also to participate in a public evaluation of generative AI systems during an August hacker event. The exercise is going to gauge how well each of these systems adhere to President Biden's uh, AI, Bill of, AI Bill of Rights blueprint, which includes principles such as discrimination protections. Let's transition to zero eyes. I can distinctly remember as a teacher in Texas where a couple of times a year we would do these intruder drills and or these active shooter drills, if you will. In those moments, I'd be asked to lock the front door of my classroom. I'd be asked to move to the back of the room along with 20 to 5 to 30 of my students. And we would all just get very close together and migrate into this back corner of a room out of the, out of the sight of the window from my classroom door. We'd be asked to do that for a few minutes of silence where all of us really would just helplessly stare at each other in silence. And I think for a lot of us, definitely myself included in that moment, I think a lot of us felt like we were actually imagining as if this, what if this were actually real, right? Students across the country today, they've also had to do things like this. They've had to adopt language and procedures for responding to active shooter, active shooter situations, such as run, hide, fight. And unfortunately, this has to happen because in the United States today, so many school shootings happen. Zero Eyes, Zero Eyes hopes to prevent school shootings with their use of AI technology in schools. And in today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with their CTO, Tim Solzer, and their COO, Rob Huberty, who walked me through how Zero Eyes actually works and how it can serve as a force multiplier for schools. I'll link all their socials and their website in our episode description if you're interested in learning more or partnering with them. Let's be real. I mean, until the knuckleheads creating policy in Washington, D.C. can create meaningful reform and protect our school communities, I walked away from the conversation with Zero Eyes today, believing that all schools should be investing in this type of technology. We need to make sure that we have faster, effective responses to active shooter situations to protect all of the people that are in our schools. This episode is dedicated to all of the school communities and the families who have been impacted by school shootings. Let me know what you think about today's conversation, the AI Ed Convo on Twitter, and let's jump in. All right, well, we're, we're kicking off here. Tim, Rob, welcome to the AI Education Conversation. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm, I'm really just excited for this opportunity. Fun fact, I don't know if uh, Diana shared this with you, but I heard about Zero Eyes through one of the listeners of my show who just was really inspired by some of the work that you're doing. And as I did you know, some more research looking into it, I was very, very interested in having you all on come come talk to the show about how you're using AI and in particular for you know the, the focus area, which I think anybody who works in school context or even just is you know, cares about people is obviously going to have a strong opinion on. So I'm very excited to just welcome you to this space and hear more about the work that you're doing. So before we get too far down the hole here, what is Zero Eyes and how'd you end up there? Tell me a little bit about yourselves. Yeah. Uh, so Zero Eyes is an artificial intelligence software that looks for guns over security cameras. 
uh, detects weapons and alerts first responders and security staff to try to uh, reduce response time. Um, I got involved with ZeroEyes uh, as a co-founder. I'm the CTO. Um, about five years ago, Mike, our uh, CEO, Mike Leif, came to me with this idea of using some of the same technology that I was using in some previous startups, but uh, geared to this amazing mission, which is trying to uh, stop gun violence. So very excited to be a part of ZeroEyes and to be a part of this awesome team, which uh, Rob makes a, a big part of. So. I guess I'm supposed to talk now. Uh, the, I, my background is I was in the SEAL teams. I served with Mike. Um, so I did that for about 10 years. Uh, I got out, uh, went to business school also with Mike kind of behind and, uh, Mike was doing internships. He actually worked for Tim, um, for a while. And that's how they kind of got to know each other. And really the impetus was the Parkland school shooting. When that event occurred, um, we noticed that the shooter was on camera and that they used the cameras, but uh, they somehow rewound the footage. And so they were going to the wrong spot where they thought the shooter was 20 minutes previous because they rewound the footage. And we said, shouldn't there be a company that exists that does something about that? And I got pulled in and, you know, we threw A and B testing and, you know, doing everything ourselves and learning a lot and really Tim tirelessly working and, and building a team, you know, we, we came together and we've created our par- product five years later, we've grown significantly. And uh, there's a huge veteran focus uh, on a lot of the company. Not everybody is veteran, but it's like uh, about 80% or somewhere around there. Awesome. Thank you both for sharing a little bit about, about your background. I have a friend who's in the Marines and he, he tells me that this kind of annoys him when, when people say, but I'm going to say it anyways, because I think it's, it's important. Thank you both for your service. Just as we kind of get into the next part here, you know, I think when we talk about school shootings, obviously folks are, you know, we want to do everything we can to protect our kids. And it's, it's scary. You know, when I talk to educators and parents in the community, I think even, even before we can get to learning that one of the issues that has been brought up to me just in individual conversations is just the fear that like my son or daughter is going to go to school and then they're not going to come home. Right. And how scary it is to be a a young person going to school in America at this, at this particular time. And there's obviously just a whole bunch of politics and things around, but regardless of that, the fact of the matter is, is we don't ever want there to be a situation where we are not protecting our students and our kids. And so I'm very curious to just dig in deep, deeper now. I think obviously you all are going to come at this from a very different lens and perspective than I am given your backgrounds and experiences. I'm coming at it from, you know, an educator perspective and both of you, it sounds like have military experience and just kind of are thinking about it from a tactical and security standpoint, given the work of zero eyes as well. And so I'm curious to just hear more about how, how the experience, how the product worked, how do you protect schools? And I, I mean, I think something I'm also interested in is I know that oftentimes when we talk about, when we talk about security within schools, there can be potential like psychological concerns with that, right? Like there've been debates in school settings when you have these big metal detectors and kids are having to walk through that and just the psychological safety components of being doing that. My understanding is that this, your product doesn't work that way. And so I'm just curious to hear more about what does zero eyes look like? Walk me through just the experience of what this, what this experience is like for a school and how you, how you protect uh, kids. Happy to just to, Clarify, I'm, I, I did not serve in the military. I'm the, uh, the sole co-founder uh, that uh, was, was not a former Navy SEAL. Um, so I, I like to say that I'm the, the nerd of the group, but I think there's a, it's, it's more than just me as a, 
uh, tech nerds on this group, but we we had we had a bunch of knuckle draggers, and we needed an adult in the room. And uh, his name is Tim Solzer, and he's just like, <laughs> "This is how you're going to actually do this. Nice, nice try. I will accomplish these tasks." And uh, he had he had done previous companies where he had expertise coming into it, and it had uh, and is also one of the fastest learners of anything that I've ever seen in my entire life. He goes to novice to expert in a no time flat, but. Uh, don't let him. He wasn't from the military. Instead, he was a, an expert and 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 much better in entrepreneurship than all of us. And we had a lot to learn from him. Really, I was just lucky enough to have failed a lot in my uh, my short career. So, um, one of my favorite quotes is "Failure is success if you learn from it," and that's been part of my mantra throughout uh, throughout my time uh, working with Zerowise too. But um, back to Zerowise, solution starts with the security camera. So we use all existing security infrastructure. Uh, we'll connect to the camera uh, with our software and go frame by frame uh, with our AI looking for a gun. Uh, at the point at which there's a detection made that's high enough confidence that uh, our AI thinks it's a weapon, uh, it'll send that alert to our Zero Eyes Operations Center where we have a human in the loop, uh, former military, uh, law enforcement personnel, that are trained to uh, triage those alerts. And if there is uh, an actual gun detected, uh, they'll click dispatch, which then sends out the alert to all, uh, all of the customer users, uh, as well as uh, connects us directly to the closest 911 operating center. So uh, the, the key point there is that uh, the customer will never see a false positive. We only uh, dispatch true weapon alerts um, and from the point at which the gun is first detected all the way through to alert delivery can be as, as short as three to five seconds. So we're, we're really focused on uh, detecting in real time and trying to send those alerts uh, to first responders and security staff to give them the situational awareness that they need to address the threat. So I know, oh, Rob, did you, have, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I guess that... We had looked at what happened in previous active shooters as we were looking at what potential things that we could do and, you know, social media monitoring or facial recognition, like what, what is going to help in this problem? And it, I think that it's going to take a lot of solutions, but we looked at previous cases uh, where like these shootings occurred and it turns out that these shooters show their guns really early. And we said, it, it, can't we do something? And, and Tim has computer vision background and he's like, yeah, I mean, you could see a gun because he'd, he'd been using computer vision as different uh, in different matter previously. And we went through it and like, could we do this in an inobtrusive way? Because you can go from uh, the most obtrusive and like you could stop and frisk everybody who comes in uh, to, you know, whatever, every threshold like TSA. And like, that's pretty effective. You don't hear about TSA missing too much, but you know, you have to go through that. There's lines, it costs that. Like, how could we do this in the least intrusive manner? And we looked at the history of it, and it turns out in a lot of these cases, they show their guns really early, particularly the mass shooters. And so we look at all of your cameras with AI, where like not human doesn't do it. And then an alert gets sent to our monitoring center and we verify that. And that's we try to be simple and pragmatic about what we can do and do it in a clever way that, that we think is effective. Yeah. I think what stood out to me when I was looking at your website is, as you've mentioned, 
it feels like a very unobtrusive way to try to add like an additional layer of security, right? We, you know, having, have it regardless of the, you know, the safety aspect of having a bunch of kids go through metal detectors and how effective it is. I mean, there's, there's other costs associated with that besides like the increased security that you're providing the students. You know, if I'm going to a school and I have to walk through metal, metal detectors, it's sending me as a student a sign that this environment isn't safe, regardless of all the things that happen, it may impact my just like mental status as I'm going through that. And it's just very, again, unfortunate that we would have to create those kind of conditions. Ultimately, like we want schools to be places of learning, right? And and not having to do anything that's going to distract from that. And I really just appreciated the approach there. I'm curious to just hear more. I noticed on your website, and as both of you just mentioned, now in the you know again in my my very brief understanding of mass shootings and how they unfortunately have worked, it appears that in a lot of those cases, a shooter is coming in with some type of assault rifle or a very large weapon that you're not fitting into you know your pocket or something like that going through. Does the technology at all detect if uh, someone has a smaller firearm or, you know, is not not concealing it like at a certain point? Is there kind of some detection there as well? Or is it is, is it really effective at more so like larger firearms, which I know most of the shootings that have happened have been that, you know, unfortunately of that type of circumstance? So our goal in uh, building an AI gun detection model has been to uh, train our AI on as many different types of guns as possible. So uh, you'll see represented in our data set everything from uh, the smallest pistols to the largest rifles, everything in between. Uh, our goal is to detect all of those. Um, we uh, we even went as far as uh, building an AI green screen lab uh, near our headquarters here, just outside of Philadelphia, uh, and that gives us the ability to, as you probably imagine, it's pretty difficult to uh, get data, training data of guns at customer sites. Uh, usually they're not too responsive to letting us walk around with guns and recording it. So uh, our approach to that has been building this green screen lab and uh, giving us the ability to overlay customer backgrounds uh, throughout the lab, uh, record on uh, hundreds of different types of security cameras, and include that into our data set. So um, again, uh, virtually any type of gun, as long as it's displayed, uh, it has to be uh, brandished and visible to the security camera. And, and to answer some of those things, you know, we see a wide variety of guns used. Um, semi-automatic pistols are probably the number one gun used in, in terms of uh, total gun violence. But in many of these instances, you're seeing, uh, you know, carbines, you know, long guns brought in as well um, for, the, for school shootings. And, and what I would say is that some of the more recent ones that released videos of the shooters, so the Michigan State one, there was a pistol. You saw him reload in front of a camera, and that made national news. The Nashville shooting, you saw them shoot through the doors with a, a carbine-style rifle, like an AR-15 or something like that, um, and they walked through with that. You saw another uh, AR-variant rifle used in Uvalde, and they were on camera, I think, 28 minutes before in front of a bank, in front of the school for six minutes, and then on camera, like with the gun displayed and, and you're just seeing that those videos being released more often. Um, and it's it just you know, evidence of where, you know, our, our hypothesis has been true and you can see that they display their guns pretty early and variety of guns. Got it. So, and it's, and if I'm understanding correctly, it sounds like you are creating your own scenarios behind this green scene, potentially also using these videos to, to fine tune essentially your AI to get, to become more effective at identifying guns. Um, it, when anybody's getting in any type of proximity near 
near a school building. Um, is Am I understanding that aspect correctly? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, we, we want to train the AI to be as uh, reliable in a diverse set of scenarios as possible, different uh, camera heights, different uh, lighting conditions, um, and try to make it as generalizable as possible so that uh, going into a new environment, we uh, can detect uh, virtually any gun that comes in front. On on your website, when you when you talk about the zero eyes advantage and just the overall process of doing this, so I'm understanding this first part about you identify and you decrease the response time, right? Because you're able to identify really quickly, vet that amongst your your team of trained professionals, get that out to local authorities. I did notice though that you had also mentioned being able to direct first responders to precise locations as a as like another feed of it and marshal people to the safe zone. I'm just curious if you could explain a little bit more as to how that that piece of it works as to how you are helping people to coordinate to to safe spaces or identifying uh, the shooter more quickly. Yeah. Um, so as a part of the alert that we send, or we're also directing um, the, you know, the security or first responder directly to the camera that uh, that triggered that alert. So um, obviously, you know, we're, we're going to send the alert image so that they have a good idea of what the shooter looks like, what type of gun they're carrying, uh, but also that, uh, that camera name and the lat long uh, coordinates to direct them specifically inside the building. And the reason why that's important is because uh, you, you've seen it on some of the videos that uh, Rob was just mentioning where uh, first responders, uh, uh, officers, you know, respond to the scene and they, they have to uh, enter the building and clear every single room that they pass to make sure that they don't miss the shooter. And that's valuable time, especially in a critical scenario, especially if there's people uh, that have already been wounded. Um, and uh, the ability to show first responders exactly where that alert happened can shave potentially minutes off of the response time. Um, so again, it's really important for us to be able to uh, communicate that situational awareness, including what the shooter looks like, what type of gun they're carrying. A lot of times during these scenarios, they're getting multiple 911 calls with conflicting information that says, you know, there's a machine gun or there's um, different types of weapons that are being fired. There's multiple shooters sometimes. Um, so, you know, being able to provide that accurate uh, location-based, uh, visual-based information uh, gives first responders the, the information that they need to shorten their response time and get there as quickly as possible. In terms of the, uh, a lot of the protocols in the United States are run, hide, fight. And one of the things that's scary about all of that is when you say run, run where, run away from danger rather than towards it, right? The first responder should run towards the danger and you should try to run away. But how would you know? And so depending on who has access to this, if we have to give it to administrators, you can, you know, exit a building away from something. Now, if you hear gunfire, you're going to ideally go away from it. And that's part of it. But if we do it by that first, you know, first sight rather than first shot, you could potentially go to exits that are clear instead of uh, towards the danger. Because, you know, just running towards something is bad. And when you don't know where everything is, um, that's really scary. And so that, that situational awareness tool um, that can be leveraged. Um, you know, that's critical. And, you know, it's more catering towards the first responders, but they can also get it to administrators to evacuate in certain directions as well. But that with that information where you know where somebody is and what they look like and who it is, that's pretty powerful because we want the, the right people to be at the right place at the right time with the right equipment. And that's it. That's that's the secret of life, life. If you can do that, show up to where you're going with the things that you need at the right time. That's that's what we're looking to do 
particularly in emergencies. So it has to be very little information. That means a lot. So a picture and an image on a map, that's what we do. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, I was reading one of the case studies you all have on your website where you mentioned that, you know, prior to leveraging zero eyes in some of these mass shootings, it's taking an average of about five minutes of a response time. And then there's like an additional seven minutes before there's like an entrance to the actual building as they're doing some of this assessment. And I can imagine, I mean, 12 minutes of time, right. In this type of situation, I can only imagine how, how much can happen in, in 12 minutes. And so, uh, it sounds like that can help tremendously with just being able to, especially again, some of these schools. And I know folks who are listening to this are going to know this clearly, you know, some of the schools that we have in the United States, they're massive places. They're, they're housing 4,000 students. They're massive, multiple buildings, very complicated. There's a lot of things going on. And to be able to sweep and go through that, I can only imagine how long that would take even, you know, even with having some, some of this type of technology. So there's, yeah, I, I can imagine how important that is. Um, I, I, you've addressed this a little bit already around the potential c- concerns with surveillance given. It sounds like your technology is pretty minimally intrusive, right? It's, it's, it, it's an, it's an attachment or, uh, an augmentation, if you will, to, to the existing camera system that would already have within schools. But I'm just curious to hear a little bit more of how you would work with schools to kind of generally inform parents, teachers, uh, you know, just general school stakeholders about this type of technology use in their school? Like, have you heard kind of any reactions from your school partners around how you might partner together to just ensure that folks are aware of these types of surveillance pieces that are happening within their school? We certainly get questions um, about surveillance and uh, rightfully so. You know, I I don't think... uh, uh, I'm, I'm not a parent, but if I had a, a child in school, I wouldn't want uh, an external party watching uh, watching security cameras. So our, our approach is uh, we, we never look at live video. Uh, the, the operators in our operations center here that are acting as a human in the loop are only filtering uh, detections coming from our AI. Um, and that AI is trained strictly on uh, guns as objects. So we don't include any sort of biometric analysis like uh, person detection, facial detection, or facial recognition. Uh, we're purely looking for the gun um, and communicating that to uh, both school school board members uh, as well as uh, parents and other other people in the community. Um, you know, that's it. Seems to give them a little bit more peace of mind. Uh, we're not one of the the companies out there that's doing facial recognition, uh, storing any type of biometric data. Uh, we're we're strictly looking at the gun and we're using that AI as a force multiplier to be able to um, review all of the live uh, footage from these security cameras uh, and, you know, remove the need for security staff or uh, our analysts in the ZOC from uh, needing to look at that live video. And I'll add just to, it's, it is your existing video camera feeds that we're doing. We're not adding any additional cameras. Like it, it's what is in your infrastructure. Got it. Yeah, totally. So there's no new like hardware pieces or things people would be looking at. Like, I wonder what that is, or, you know, just looking at it from that standpoint. And you, you kind of answered my next question already a little bit, Tim, um, but I'm curious to just maybe uh, probe for this a little bit further here, which is, so something that makes this technology unique is that it is, it is fine trained to only look for and ensure that we're analyzing guns, right? Of all different variants. Something a lot of folks, both in education and even outside of education, are very concerned about as it relates to AI technology are the, you know, the socioeconomic, the racial biases, right, associated with some of these things. The fact that uh, it may have biases depending on someone's skin color, the way that they dress, 
you know, any of their appearance features. Um, and, you know, so I'm very curious as to how this potentially shows up and uh, the threat assessment technology that you all use, but it sounds like it plays no role whatsoever. Am I, am I understanding that correctly? That's correct. Uh, we, we do not train on AI on any type of biometric or features related to people um, or faces. Uh, we're strictly looking for the shape of a gun. Uh, from the early days in the company, uh, we you know, kind of contemplated on whether or not it was uh, the right idea to uh, also offer facial detection, facial recognition as an analytic. And we, we moved away from that strictly uh, because we, we wanted to be the best at one thing, and that one thing is gun detection. So uh, throughout uh, the, the entire process of the company where we've been collecting data and building our data sets to train our AI uh, as, as best as possible, uh, we've only looked at guns and we've only annotated guns uh, to, uh, to, to avoid any type of bias that, that could be uh, included by um, looking at you know, features beyond the gun, like people, faces, and, and things like that. So. Yeah, totally. And I think something else that is uh, I'm holding on to from something I think you said, Rob, earlier around zero eyes really being a force force multiplier. I think that I can understand how that would resonate for a lot of schools right now, just because, you know, and you all might be seeing this on the ground as well, but so many schools right now just have so many vacancies in their building. And, you know, I, I have a couple of school partners that I work with, uh, you know, on a, on a monthly basis here. And they're asking me, hey, do you know any English teachers? Do you know any science teachers, right? And if you're in a school of you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand students, and you have ten teacher vacancies. That is like less adults in the building to be able to supervise things. I've also seen, uh, you know, large schools have maybe security staffs of just a couple of guards for some of the big issues that are coming up, and you then have to wonder: Are they actually able to successfully protect all sectors of, you know, the school, especially from something as catastrophic as someone walking in with a firearm? And now, with something like zero eyes, it sounds like. Um, even if you just have one person in the building, now there's this extra set of eyes that can ensure that at least this this facet of the uh, you know the school is being protected, being watched over. Um, even if you have vacancies, you can now see how you're going to have this added protection uh, from from something as big as that. Yeah, particularly for that catastrophic event, right? It, so I'm not going to say that we replace all the bodies or anything like that, but. When something devastating is going to come, we can tap somebody on the shoulder who's at the other side of the building, who's not looking at the cameras because our AI is always looking at the cameras 24 seven, 365. And, you know, potentially even, even on a very big campus, if you have one school resource officer, one security personnel or whatever it is, they could be to that other end and, and ideally prevent. And if not mitigate a situation, right. And, you know, the alternative is, you know, if, if you don't have enough people, we can we can use that one person more effectively or that team more effectively by looking at that catastrophic event. We can't solve everything. We can't, you know, have whatever it is that's coming in and out of the door that isn't that that's, you know, something else. We don't do that. We do this one thing and we, we are the best at that for catastrophic events. Yeah, totally. And I totally agree. I mean, not to suggest that all that this should be replacing a security staff or anything like that, but also just acknowledging that. We are in a, a moment right now in education, in particular in public schools, where so many people are not, not not taking positions and a lot of schools do have vacancies and acknowledging that something like this can really help uh, some of the folks who are 
uh, tasked with providing security to their school to to just be more effective um, in that in that practice. So totally agree with you there. I'm curious to, to dig in a little bit more and hear, hear more about your experiences. So you obviously have some school partners, uh, I, I would imagine across the the um, country, if not across across the world, what what has their reaction been to to partnering with you all? What what stories or anecdotes could you share with me? I think it's been pretty positive. The one thing that I will say is that that I have been surprised by is that there are way more guns in schools than I ever thought there were, and I'm not necessarily talking about the the shooter with the manifesto who has a bag that is going to come in every day which is why we developed this product, right? That, that's what we saw and we're like, we need to protect from that. You know, I don't want to ever see that again. But the frequency in which, let's say, law enforcement reports to the school in the middle of the night because whatever, and they have their guns drawn because that's protocol, because whatever happened, we see that a lot. The frequency in which we see like police training going through or the National Guard shows up to a school or kids bring in guns to play games that don't make any sense. Social media challenges where they come and do it in the middle of the night and they're pointing guns at their friends and they're doing whatever social media weird things that I don't fully understand, or they're going to post something to make fun of somebody like a first person shooter where they put a gun in front of their cell phone to where it looks like a, a video game to where they play senior assassin day. Um, which is, uh, I, I mean, I'm, aware of it, but like I didn't realize the frequency and what's that's played in the country where you have like airsoft guns and you shoot, you know, somebody else, you're supposed to get this person. I think it's mostly water guns, but we've seen it with airsoft guns a lot. The frequency is like almost a daily occurrence, particularly this is towards the end of the school year. We see it more towards the end of the school year. You see these kinds of guns happen all the time. Um, you know, you'll see ROTC rifles every single day. That's not really a surprise. But our operations team sees very strange scenarios. And the thing that is new to me that is new to the country that really this year is the swatting. And uh, the frequency in which we see uh, entire police forces come into a school with guns drawn aggressively, you know, that, that those carbine long gun rifles with, uh, you know, tactical SWAT teams going through clearing, we say is training going on right now. And they said, no, uh, we had you know this awful call. And I think we've seen it, I don't know the number, maybe 20 to 30 times to where we've seen police drawn with weapons. And it's, it's, it's basically prank phone calls, but they come from overseas describing these terrible scenarios. And I, I would say that more schools uh, have experienced this. And if you haven't experienced it, like the likelihood is probably pretty high. Um, I, we saw the state of Michigan, there was 52 schools in one day earlier this year, um, where that happened. So it's, this is, this is a, a thing that's occurring everywhere. And the one thing that I could say that we could offer is a little bit of a de-escalation because we call you up immediately. As soon, as soon as the first police weapon is shown in front of a camera, where we said, are you doing training right now? And they say, no, this is real. I said, we don't see anybody with a gun. No, no alerts have happened. Okay. Let's. Maybe they weren't on camera or something. And so as, as we see that happen more and more, we can at least de-escalate. We've never seen anybody with any gun anywhere but you. And uh, I think some of these scenarios, they realize the phone calls are prankish. And so therefore they, uh, they go in with less uh, aggressive uh, posture. You know, they don't have their guns up. They'll just walk through. They won't show up with you know, a, a large group. It'll just be one or two people, but it's something that they have to respond. 
So working with schools, seeing the, the educators who really care, um, it's been great for us, but seeing the frequency in which guns of some kind, whether it be water guns, airsoft guns, sh show up in schools has been uh, surprising. Wow. I, I feel like I just learned so much from you right now about that. I had no idea. And, and to your point, I mean, if you're, your technology is um, looking to fine tune, you're going to see all of the different instances as you described where any type of firearm or something that looks like it is coming into a school. And yeah, the swatting thing is very unfortunate. I know that that's something that has popped up and maybe the, probably the last 10 years here ago, ago where I've heard instances of those types of things coming up. And to your point where we're talking about trying to do the best that we can to preserve the learning environment for our students, the last thing that we want is somebody calling in an attack. You have police officers with large firearms walking into a school, you know, even if nothing happens and they're safe, like that is going to be a disruption to the day. And that's something that it sounds like and you are in positions to prevent on some occasions when, uh, you know, these ridiculous calls or things like that are being made. And that's, yeah. Wow. That's, it's I mean, that could be trauma inducing too. <laughs> yeah, right? absolutely. The, and it's not intentional, you know, the, the police are going in with their best intention. It's whoever did this is, is a bad actor. And I think they're just trying to create anxiety and animosity or whatever it is, panic, fear in the United States. My understanding is they're coming from overseas as well. So, but it's, it's, it's something that that's new to me that I didn't know about. I guess when I went to school, I was, you know, pre nine 11, you know, when I was really going to school and I guess bomb threats were occasionally would happen or somebody would say fire because they didn't want to take tests, but this is the frequency of this is much higher than it used to be. And that was pre Columbine too, as well. Yeah. No, thanks for, for sharing some of those reactions. Tim, I didn't know if, if there was anything coming up for you or uh, you would just kind of double down on everything Rob was mentioning there. <laughs> yeah, I think he nailed it. Um, it's, it's interesting how uh, it seems like we, uh, uh, we, we prep, we provide a lot more value uh, than, than even I was anticipating coming into this is uh, it's wild to see the, the different scenarios that unfold at, at different schools. And, uh, you know, as, as we, uh, uh, expand to more and more schools, more states. Uh, the the scenarios uh, have just become more and more diverse. So uh, it's it's exciting as we go forward to continue to develop the product, and it's something that I'm really interested in. I spend a lot of time talking to customers and asking them for their feedback and trying to improve our product. So it's it's always interesting to have those conversations and to learn what really matters uh, to school administration, to security uh, staff, and uh, and to those first responders that we're trying to communicate this information to. Yeah, totally. No, thanks for, for sharing that, Tim. And so, I mean, I guess like my last question for both of you is just curious to, to kind of top, talk shop for a minute here. And, you know, so as, as I was uh, alluded to earlier, you know, this show is all about AI and its impacts in education and in school environments in particular. And so I know you all right now are hyper-focused on uh, this particular, using AI for this very particular, uh, you know, kind of issue and, and really supporting that. But I'm just curious in general, like, you know, feel free to speculate, ideate with me, think big picture, but like, how do you see the role of AI and school safety, like evolving in the, in the picture based on some of the things or in the future, I should say, based on some of the things that you've learned, some of the th the technology that's out there, just curious to kind of think big or get a sense from you all as to where you think the field is headed based on some of this, you know, the new AI uh, speculation that's been out here in the last few months, everybody's talking about AI now in a way that folks weren't doing before. So where do you think we're headed? That's an interesting question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, the, the prevalence of students using ChatGPT to write their papers for them. But um, I, I don't think that's necessarily a benefit to, to schools. Um, on, on the security side, 
you know, I, I think the one thing that we do really well is uh, maintain that, that real-time uh, situational awareness uh, to our customers. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're still sending actual people to respond to these incidents. And, um, you know, with, with all the advancements in robotics and drone technology, I would love to, you know, start exploring uh, different ways that we could better assist first responders and security staff uh, when they are actually responding to those threats. Aside from that, you know, just just getting better at what we do, um, better detection performance, uh, you know, more integrations with third-party systems uh, that customers are already using as a part of their security infrastructure, uh, like VMS systems, uh, to basically just be able to send alerts in to more places to uh, to really tune. Um, the, the response to what the customer needs and what they're looking for. I mean, AI is really incredible at mundane tasks and it can do a massive amount of mundane tasks really easily. It, it can't do thought experiments at all, really. Um, I mean, if, unless you could turn a thought experiment into a mundane task where there's a black and white answer, right? And so, you know, I think that social emotional screening, if, if you could somehow think of how to do that cleverly in a way where I mean, that could be helpful, but how we're going to use AI in the future, I think we're going to figure out how to make very complicated things into a series of mundane tasks that AI can help us with. But fundamentally, we have to use people to do it. Chat GPT is so interesting just because you know, theoretically you're writing papers or speeches and we're plagiarizing, we're passing tests at really hard schools, but it's all known information. And when it's wrong, it's really, maybe this is a negative view of it, but it's plagiarism. Like it is really highly sophisticated plagiarism and how I see it, it's it's turning that in and it's not gonna come up with the new ideas, but it does that pretty well. And so like those mundane tasks that we can get rid of so that we can think of better tasks, that's that's how the future is going to go, I think. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that perspective. I will say that, um, you know, to your your initial point, I do think that depending on the sector or the content expertise, like Chad GPT in particular, it's a little bit better at strategic planning, I think, depending on the sector. Like I think for something like how you all might be coming about it, very tactical, like I, if you if you decided to pressure test with one of these AI tools, you know, some like a like a a school evasive plan. If you have a shooter in there and you wanted to pressure test hundred, I don't know that it could do that very well. You probably need guys, you know, such as you Rob, who've been it in the world, done them. it. And yeah, potentially like it, it could, it could, it could, yeah. it could take a smaller task and help you at that task so that you could iterate on it. Be like, ah, it went wrong. Listen, but I, I have a million ideas now and it's, it's opened my mind to other things because it's taking care of like just the, the rote stuff that I had to do that enables me to do my job so I can think more creative and further away. So yeah. there's a lot of possibilities with that. It's that that next it it allows you to take the bigger step that's more thought uh, provoking and less you know I have to do the, all of these things to get to that point. Yeah, no, totally agree. And um, I I think you you yeah you said it the right way there in t- in terms of my perspective as well. Like you, you it kind of gives you more bandwidth to think about the bigger things, right? And get some of those smaller things out. And Tim, to your point earlier, I mean, I'm very curious to see how AI evolves into more physical manifestations as well. You all are really kind of one of the first like 
AI physical, I would, I would offer products that are like a bringing in. You're not totally physical. It sounds like more of a, a software piece of it, but with, you know, to cameras. And I mean, I, I think like if you would have asked me four months ago where I thought AI initially was, it was, I thought it was going to be robots and all these things. And it's not that at all, at least right now. Right. But I, I think if we, we head into that way too, where, where we have robots or these types of things, be just be very interesting to see how that impacts our, our world and, and schools and in, in particular. So Thank you all so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. And I hope that there's a lot of schools that uh, reach out to you after this airs and, and are interested in partnering with you all, because it sounds like a product that's very important for, for a lot of our schools right now, in particular for our schools that uh, need, need an extra force multiplier, I think, as you said, Rob. Thank you so much. Daniel, appreciate the time. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the AI Education Conversation. Give a follow, rate, and review wherever you listen. For all show notes and to share your thoughts on today's episode, check out the AI Edcom on Twitter. See you next time.